Welcome to Stay Grounded with your host, me, Raj Jana. I'm the founder of Java Press Coffee Company, and my life changed after my mentor died with three months left until retirement. That experience inspired me to start a personal journey to discover how we can all live a purpose-driven and meaningful life starting today. I interview everyone from best-selling authors and business moguls to extreme athletes and monks to discuss happiness, success, and fulfillment to uncover powerful takeaways that empower you to stay grounded and make passionate living a reality. To access post-podcast discussions, insights, and further resources, visit rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded. So thanks for joining me today. Now, let's get to grinding. Yo, yo, what's up, everyone? And welcome to this very special episode of Stay Grounded with my new friend, Bailey Buckendorf. So Bailey is the founder of 13 Moons, which is an online app and community that showcases a library of Guru Singh's teachings and provides tools like guided meditations and kundalini to help you stay grounded through a daily spiritual practice. But how Bailey came to start 13 Moons, how she came to be mentored by Guru Singh, who is a celebrated third-generation yogi and master spiritual teacher, is pretty honestly incredible. About four years ago, Bailey's life turned upside down when she lost her husband to suicide. And from that point forward, she she even describes it in this podcast as being sort of like led by spirit, where she was thrust into opportunities, given divine support, and she was held in ways that she couldn't really understand. And in this podcast, we talk a lot about what to do when you're confronted with adversity and how can you soften into that. And we say soften, it's it's not to tense up and resist what's happening and to fight it, but to actually just allow yourself to be guided in the direction that life wants to go instead of the plan that you have for your life. And I just really appreciated this conversation because not only is it an inspiring story of a woman who allows herself to be led by spirit through the darkest of times, which alone is inspiring, but also a lesson for me in how I can just trust when things aren't going the way that I want them to go or when I get hit with challenges. Like, how deeply can we trust? But more than that, this is a story of a woman who's learning to build and create and live her life from the feminine, like staying really grounded in the slow and staying very connected to her intuition and creating a life around that and showing how you can be a successful business owner and a, and a, and a single mom and, and make the difference you want to make in the world from a space of the slow. And so I really appreciated this conversation. I hope that it inspires you to slow down and create more space in your day to listen to that intuitive guidance and and create in the direction of that guidance. Because when we're creating in the direction of our intuition, we are creating with spirit. We are creating with what wants to happen instead of what we logically think needs to happen in our mind. So enjoy the conversation. Enjoy this episode. I love you all. And just really grateful that we get to continue having guests like these on the show that inspire me. So thank you for giving the show a voice. Thank you for being here. And without further ado, here is the amazing Bailey Buckendorf. Enjoy. Yo, yo, yo. What's up, everyone? And welcome to this week's very special episode. Stay grounded. Hi, Bailey. Welcome to the show. Hi, Raj. Thank you. It's great to have you here. We had a few scheduling mishaps and likely, I mean, I'm 
totally like you were in the middle of a, a lot of, especially with 13 moons coming out. I mean, and this being, if I'm understanding your first big sort of entrepreneurial launch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. First big completion of a big project like that. Yeah. I'd love to maybe just set the stage of like, what was that like? Like emotionally sort of like bringing forth something new into the world. Like what were the emotions, the insecurities, like what was showing up for you? Like maybe the week before and the week after. (laughs) Yeah. I think the week before is a really big reflective time of how far you or for me, how far I've grown. It's a time of when I would look back on my past habits of wanting to maybe quit right before and see how each little mini launch along the way that got us to this point, I didn't quit. And it was like, whoa, we're really going to make it to the end. And I just have to keep going. So that was the week before. And then after it was reflecting on what we think something is in the moment of heightened emotion of it taking us out or not being right isn't actually real. And it's such like a, oh, wow, I don't have to believe everything I think once it's done. That was my experience. Mm. Wow. I uh, I just want to really pinpoint, you used the word reflection a few times. It sounds like that's a, a, a toolkit in your toolbox that's been really helpful for you as you've kind of navigated a lot of uncertain waters. Were you always good at reflection? Or is this a skill set you learned because of circumstances? Or was this something that was taught to you? Yes, I would say I'm an intense and deep soul. So it has been something that I've gotten more confident in using it as a tool rather than a deficit. Hmm. Can you describe when you say a tool versus a deficit? Like, what, like, how can reflection be a deficit? Yeah. Well, I think let's put high school, for example, when you, my superpower then was being deep in, let's say I'm writing a paper and I would go down into the depths of thinking that I'm just taking symbolism so far and not having my peers do the same thing and then instantly shaming myself and then just hiding that aspect of myself. Whereas now I use it as a a way to get to freedom instead of shutting myself down to where I can't grow. Amazing. So yeah, no, no, this is beautiful. So I'm just going to reflect back what I'm hearing. Challenge happens or adversity happens or things that's not fun happens. And now instead of sort of going into a self-shaming loop or a self-critical loop, which is one form of reflection. You can look at something and blame yourself and dig yourself into a deeper hole, or you could take it into a more positive frame and learn, grow, and constructively use the experience to map a a better way forward or a lesson or a principle that's unique to you. Yeah. Cool. I love that. I love that. I'm really curious. So like, I love speaking to like, like, it's really inspiring. You know, like I was telling you, like your story ahead of time was just so, when Mike was sharing it with me, it's just so moving, you know, because I think uh, a lot of times our our greatest work in the world follows an intense period of chrysalis or challenge. And I would love to, if you're open to it, paint the picture of sort of like where you were at 
when the seed for 13 moons kind of came to you and what gave you the inspiration or the courage or the strength to like embark on a journey of entrepreneurship, which is not like something that everybody does. It's not like a, not everybody's like, I'm going to choose to be an entrepreneur. Like there's usually a defining nature to it. So I'd love for you to, to, to speak to that. So I'll start from like the pivotal moment of when it really started to birth itself of my entrepreneurial journey. And it was actually a few months before my husband passed away and my husband died with a death by suicide. And a few months before that, we'd had our third baby and I was in school for organizational leadership. So there was a spark already in me that wanted to lead in some way, whether it was my own life, my own family, or just my hunger to understand life. And then when my husband passed away, my youngest was seven months and then my oldest was four, I think. And I didn't go, I feel like in that moment, my spiritual practice awakened to the level of just being carried. It was a very euphoric experience. I felt like I had left my body and went to wherever he was beyond for a solid month to just be carried and understand why we're here and to understand that death isn't as scary and that when we think we go, that is not necessarily true. So that sort of sets the foundation of what gave me the why of showing up for my kids and to also perhaps redefine what death means and what it could, that it doesn't have to destroy your life, that suffering doesn't have to destroy it. And so I got to start working with Guru Singh two days after my husband died because my mom had done a teacher training with him. I worked with him, did EDMR therapy, all the things for a solid six months, but I ended up working with him for two years. And within that time frame, we talked and I'm like, what do I do with my life? And I ended up going to school for project management with an emphasis in construction because I wanted to do feng shui building and like talk to the land and just shift how we live collectively. And then I love having some sort of give back. And I started volunteering for Guru Singh and I started running more things. And then all of a sudden a position opened to where he needed somebody full time. And then Mike came into the picture and I was just an enthusiastic doer. And all of a sudden, before I even realized it, I was growing and building a company, the 13 minutes. So that's sort of like what got me to building it is I had a lot of right place, right time, but also showing up for the bigger purpose of what I believe life is. And I got, because of that, I got to be connected to incredible people like Mike and Guru Singh. Showing up for the bigger purpose of what you believe life is. Can you expand on that? Yeah, it's actually reflecting using that word again this morning when I was listening to a book called Buddhism for Mothers. And for me, when I get in a pattern of too much I and Cody's death, I can't live for I. The I has to be living for we. And if I'm only focused on this little lens, I have to remember that it's not about me. It's not about even just my kids, but it's about shaping it so that 
everybody can thrive together because what I noticed how I got treated as a solo mom, it was like I was getting set up to never be able to thrive again. Like there was this energy and weight of heaviness of, oh, she's a single mom. It's going to be hard for her forever. And I just refuse to wear that. And so maybe that's what it's speaking to, too, is to creating space to not hold these strict narratives. Good for you. It's like slapping the collective victim consciousness of society in the face (laughs) and just like not allowing it to get in the way of you creating an alignment, you stepping into your power, you transforming and alchemizing like your life's challenges into a greater purpose and calling. And, and it's really beautiful. Like, I, I love the, the inception story because it, and I'd love for you to maybe speak to this. Like it almost feels like you've been divinely guided. Like I was like really feeling that like there's like a divine orchestration happening that's above anything that you can comprehend really in the moment. And I think it's easy to get lost in like the details of like, Oh, the shitty thing happened or that thing happened. But like when you zoom out and and you've kind of, I don't know if you've naturally always been good at this or like you were kind of forced into being that like, but how do you connect to that? Cause I, I actually feel like you're, you're making decisions from a place of divine orchestration, which is why you're able to, say yes when you're saying yes and saying no when you're saying no. Yeah, I would definitely call it that. I would say I respect it more now before and I have a better handle or mastery on my emotional being because before I probably would have gotten some of these hits but let the stage of overwhelm talk me out of stepping forward and what my husband's death taught me is the miracles are always here. You just have to show up like, but with the energy of like, I'm here and I'm going to do this and this is going to work and I'm okay with however it comes into play. But yes, there's this, I don't know if you study human design at all, but recently I've gotten more into it and I'm a projector. And then me my some definition is gut. And so I just follow me that. Too. <laughs> yeah. Your splenic authority. Yes. Yes, me too. So it's following those little sparks, nudges of, and then, yeah, that's kind of my process. Yeah, it's it's amazing. You know, human design is an amazing framework and it took me a while to like test it because I didn't want to believe it at first. And I think everything for everyone listening, like when you fall on personality types or profiles or frameworks, like don't take it from a grain of salt, like put it in action and see how it lands for you. Because I think uh, that's how you really start to like integrate with your own intuition. And I am finding that when I integrate with the human design framework, especially as a projector, it's it's really amazing, actually. Like it kind of shifts the... Uh, I, f- I find myself living in a lot more fulfillment. <laughs> yes. Like, like much more fulfillment, much easier. Things are happening when I'm like playing with my design instead of the design of what somebody else, like something that works for somebody else. Yeah, I agree. And how long ago was, was the experience of you kind of like now being a fresh entrepreneur with mentors and Gersing and like between that and 
where you're at now? Like how, how long ago is that? I'm smiling. I think only two and a half years. Wow. Less. Because the 13 moons technically has only been, um, it's barely over a year old, a year and a half. Yeah. I think. And we took it from this little community to have it be a catching net from Kundalini University, the 200 hour training that Guru Singh does with Brett Larkin. And we were like, okay, we want to keep people together so that we can keep flourishing and growing and expanding. And then it evolved to needing our own platform. And so from the start date of building it on a different platform to then building it to our own app was about a year and a half process. What is your relationship to adversity now? I guess like when you get, I mean, like, especially when you've been dealt such like a crazy set of cards, like from challenges, like how has that shaped your relationship to adversity now? And, and how does that, yeah, like, I'm just curious if you have thoughts on that. Yeah. I would love to share it from the perspective of a story. And maybe I hope that it inspires other people that have declared that they were quitting and they couldn't go on that this might spark their begin again moment. Mike has been incredible at teaching me to expand and strengthen my relationship with adversity. What I love about what he has helped me with is he's treated me as a complete neutral and capable and powerful human, not really giving much into my solo momhood and pushing me really hard in a good way to keep rising to the occasion and keep getting I'm going to say working through the limiting beliefs because I don't think that we just can get over anything. I think it's a, you have to become one with it and then be like, okay, and then keep swimming through it. But throughout this process, I got to a space of where I was able to move my children and I to Austin, Texas. And before this, we hadn't really had space or time away from family. And so yes, there had been a lot of grief work, but we hadn't rebonded as a family. And so I knew my grief might peak out once I got here. I didn't understand how much it would explode to where I couldn't control it at times. And as we were progressing on and we were needing to really get things moving for the 13 moons, I had a complete meltdown. Like I didn't know, and I'm being completely transparent and honest about this, but I didn't know if I wanted to keep going. And uh, I quit. I quit the 13 moons. I quit everything. And um, it took about two weeks for me to turn the corner and to start to come back and be like, okay, if we do it, this is how I operate. And it gave me some sort of authority because I realized I hadn't told anybody how I operated, um, even myself. And I'd been learning more about being a projector. And I was like, meetings, they take my life, they take my soul. I can't do them if I have to also be creative. But I just put a list and then everyone was like, okay, cool. You do you. And I didn't realize that I could have that authority to just say what I needed versus just quitting and going away because I didn't want to be too much for people or too much for myself or I didn't know if I could even get out of this corner that I put myself in. So to wrap it up with the thought is that my relationship with adversity is that I know that in the moments when it's so hot and heated, if I pause, 
the way through will come up and it's going to be in a way that's unexpected. And so I just sort of soften and I'm like, there's always a way through. It'll work out. I love the softening. I think that's a really important like thing to anchor into because the traditional mindset is when adversity happens, let me fight back mm-hmm. and let me like warrior up and let me go. And I think what's really beautiful about what you're sharing is the willingness to soften in those moments and slow down. And instead of being in like the panic, the mania is I think, I mean, it's a new paradigm. I think it's not taught a lot, but I think that's also what comes from feminine leadership. I think it is the more nurturing, softer side. And I think that's what creates more sustainability instead of burnout. And I just love that you brought it back to your design. You know, I've been really big on even on my teams, like designing for flow. Like that's been a big concept of mine. Like how can we design an environment where each person is working into their highest gifts, their highest magic? And how can we design an experience where if they're not, we catch that and we adjust and and redirect so that they can move in a way that's harmonious. Because I I really feel like there's a a new age of entrepreneurship happening right now. And I think you're at the forefront of it. Like you're kind of recreating it. I just really appreciate that like I'm able to interview at this time. So I think you're going to be fucking awesome and badass and successful. I totally see it. And it's like so fun for me to catch you now because you have fresh eyes and you haven't built like something before you're actually bringing in a, a, a new way of being and doing that. I think a lot of people would benefit from and resonate with, especially as we step into a whole new phase of creation. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. And yeah, I would agree, especially because the world is shifting to having us have to be more flexible and adaptable, like with working online and all sorts of technology coming out. We really have to grow into changing how we relate and interact with our working relationships and what we even want regular work life and regular life to look like together for my lens. Mm-hmm. So what does, uh, I guess your, your balance look like? I mean, how, if, if I had to like break down your design or if you had to share, if you're open to sharing, like, how are you a busy entrepreneur who's doing something that's, you know, helpful for other people? How are you? You seem really grounded. Like you're really, so I can tell you're, you're likely connected to some sort of a practice. You are a single mom. So you've got kids and that thing. And like, so like, what's your design? Like, how do you actually manage it all, but not just manage it, but like thrive in it all? Yeah. It goes back to one of my very first yoga teacher trainings is that we have as much space as we believe we have. And death teaches you. I wouldn't even say it teaches you that, but the way what happened to my body when my husband died is that that space was created and that container was created. And I no longer carried any story of, I can't do this because I'm only one person. It was the only thing that came out of my body or my belief was that there's a way and I can do this and I have enough for everybody. And so if what does my like balanced life look like? I wouldn't say that I have a fully balanced life. I would say I have a very devoted life and I love that. And I don't ever want that to go away. I've heard a comment from someone the other day that was like, you can say no 
And I love that I have that option, but I don't want to say no to volunteering. I don't want to say no to being there for my kids. And I don't want to say no to my passion, which is working in this way. So I dedicate my life to work, um, to my spiritual practice. I consider them one entity. I dedicate it to holding the space for my children to have space to grow and evolve. That's like a full-time thing. And then the other third of my life is keeping room for selfless service of what can I give back that I don't have to expect any result from. I don't know if that's helpful or not, but it's how what helps me sort of break up my day without getting too into the details, which makes me shut down. Well, what's cool about that is you've got, and I will, I'll challenge and argue back with like the reason you're able to not say no is because you're devoted. You know what you're devoted to. Yeah. I think if you don't know what you're devoted to and you're like, I'll just say yes to everything for that mindset, like no is actually a really powerful tool to get clear on what are you actually devoted to? Right? Like what are your priorities and your values? But you seem to really be clear on what you're actually devoted to. So then it makes it really easy because you've inherently baked your life to say just to be a giant fuck off to anything that isn't what you're devoted to. You know what I mean? Yes. I like that you uh, reworded that or gave that perspective because yes, that's exactly where I'm coming from because I have learned or I've, yes, I've just started saying no to the things that don't fit in those three containers. And I'm okay with that for right now. Right. And that's what's beautiful. And like, so I'm actually really curious about the selfless service part. Where did that desire come from? Has it always been like a pure desire? Was it something that sort of entered into your life in some way? Have has your relationship with service shifted over the year? Like, I'm curious because I, I'm, I'm asking more for myself, even like just like I have actually noticed for myself sometimes, like when I'm serving, there is a benefit I'm getting. Like, there's a nourishment and a and a and a good feeling that I get from giving. So it, it almost doesn't feel selfless. It feels like I'm actually getting a lot from it. So I'm curious if you have any thoughts around just when you said selfless giving, I'm like really curious about your your thoughts. Yeah, I would actually say it is selfish that I am doing that because of exactly what you just said. My cup gets filled from that. I don't know if you've ever done the gene keys at all, but one of my gene keys is that I actually get life by feeding people, by making meals, by being the nourishing mother, which makes sense because I love being a mom. And so it actually is just allowing me to soften into my normal human nature and to where I get to just exist as me. And so I know that it nourishes me in some way. So I show up because I I don't know that we ever show up for something if we're not getting something out of it. And I don't know that it's a negative thing. I'm still deciding how I can word all of that. But that is that it just feels healthy. Yeah. And I think you you said it really beautifully. Like it's giving without the expectation of receiving anything back. Yeah. Right. And I think that's a muscle that I'm really starting to stretch even more because I think it's, it takes time to like really carve that out to be in like a, like for me, it's like in a mentoring role or being able to like support people with ideas or like when they're struck, like it's like, it's a muscle to like really carve out the space for that. And the fact that you're doing it with so much on your plate really just shows like how nourishing it actually is to, and it feeds everything else. 
Like it's, it's like a, like an endless cycle that just keeps like when you're giving, it's like you're, you're receiving. And what is your relationship to receiving? Like, because you're, if you're such a selfless giver, I, I am curious, what is the opposite in your life? Yeah, I would say I'm actively exploring what it means today for me, because with grief and with being a solo mom and having to have such fierce protective walls up, I would say I probably could really work on softening to receive more. Um, and I understand its importance. I find it right now a bit awkward. That's yeah, but I it we're I'm figuring it out on what it is. That's great. No, it's great. I love the honesty and the openness. I mean, I think that's like it's the ultimate challenge. But it also just it's the biggest gift we can give other people too, when they can feel the gift of giving. And like I actually realize that with my with my family a lot. Like like when my family wants to give, I think for a while I was like resistant. And then I started just kind of letting go of that. And I was like, no, like I'm just gonna allow myself to receive because the deeper I can receive, the more of a gift it is for them. Like they feel their purpose. They feel the, like, it's like a, it's almost like I have to let my ego out of the way in some ways to like, but I don't know why my ego is even up there. It has no room to be in this conversation because it's like, this doesn't make sense. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. And it's like when I decorate my children's room and I make it all cozy and earthy and then I'm like, oh, don't you love it? I love decorating it. And my son goes, yes, you decorate it the way that you like it. And we love that you like it. And I was like, that is such an honest answer. And you are correct. You can decorate it later when you're a little older. So good. I'm curious, you know, in the two and a half years of you building this, um, what role your your late husband actually has played inside of like the creation of this and like, or maybe even like who you are today, right? Like, I mean, it's, as a transformative life event, like, and it's almost like this period for you has been an integration of that. So I'm, I'm, I'm really curious, like, what is like, yeah. Yeah. I know the knowing for my boys and I, that he is forever a part of our life. And I believe that all of these opportunities and this softness and this gentleness that I still feel to this day, which I feel like I could have hardened my heart a long time ago, is a huge part of just his integration into having me be some sort of expression of that incredible part of him because he was so calm and I'm all of a sudden calmer. And I also think that, I mean, he died with what is going on in the world that's uh, what is the word epidemic? Is that what I'm looking for of what people are claiming? And it's, I feel like I get to be maybe this twinkle of hope of redefining our relationship with dark and with suffering to where it's not something that has to be cured or fixed, but it's something that gets to be an asset that is often overlooked and people fear it. And so I guess when, if we're like bringing in receiving, it's, 
I've got a really healthy relationship with receiving all that is, not just all that I want to be. And so in a way, he's helping me be the portal of this wisdom that I hopefully will someday be brave enough to share and start helping in little ways. What is the gift and the asset of all the darkness? Yeah. I think that, like, if I'm imagining what, I try to imagine what was going through his head that day. He was, we had three young kids. He was the typical, he was highly sensitive, but put in this masculine world where it's go, 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 go. You never get breaks just that intense energy. And if you never get to soften, your brain goes to, this is my only way out. I need a release. I need to feel my soul again. And then if we take it like not quite so deep and just, I'm so frustrated with work. This isn't working. I, I don't like this. Instead of seeing that dark or that agitation as something that needs to go away, we can start and like, and associating with it, we can start to step outside of it a little bit and be like, okay, if this is happening and I don't like it, what do I want? And start to use it as like a pivot to learn from. But it gives us that necessary contrast to even know what it is we might want instead. And so I think we can just soften the like, oh, that just energy that goes with it and maybe be like, oh, I'm mad at that and just change our normal reaction just to sort of break the defaults. I don't know if I'm giving you a clear answer, but it's just what's coming through. I'll pause, see if you have anything. No, <laughs> I'm just listening. No, I, I'm when I appreciate you, you bringing us into the, the mind space of your, of your late husband. I really, it's, it's helpful to even just feel like the truth of that. Like I, you know, as a, I think I had a very hardened kind of masculine. I played into that really well until I started going deeper and inward and I started opening up and then I got a lot more sensitive myself. And now I'm like redesigning my life to be more in alignment with like my harmony. And I think it's just really challenging for men in particular when we're living inside of a, a world that's, it is very dominant and just go, go, go. And, uh, and I also think that with the right mentorship and the right guidance, like even like the sensitive souls can actually like really step into power and play with this. And I think that's what's really missing in society. I think it's what's missing in schools. I don't think we really teach men and women how to claim like authentic, integrated femininity and masculinity. And so then it kind of plays into this like, kind of cycle of like overcompensating or it's like there's just there's a lot of unintegrated examples of what it means to be a man and a woman in society and I think what's really beautiful about what you're sharing from your own life your hus- your late husband's life is like just that the softness is not actually it's not a detriment it's actually a, an incredible asset it but it does take learning how to wield and it takes training and it takes, and, and, and it takes, uh, uh, yeah, it takes training. And so like, I guess 
let's talk about training. So I, I think just in general, like this path of learning to kind of be with yourself, like what does in your eyes from your own journey of transformation and as well as the people you hold space for and the people you support, like what is the path back to integrating all that you are? Yeah, that's a beautiful question. What I found possible, um, I did a lot of Joe Dispenza's work and I did a lot of Kundalini meditations with Guru Singh after Cody passed away. And I was in the space of, well, it's going to need a miracle for me to have three kids financially support us and have a career, have a life, be able to sleep. And so I was in a very light, playful headspace in knowing that elevating was sort of my only option. And what came through for me a lot was we, I thought maybe I needed to do a lot of talk therapy and things, but what I really needed to do was to continue to show up in a really relaxed way to who I wanted to become. And I think that when we're on this journey of wanting to manifest something or integrate or become that, we sort of set up like the structure and we have the boxes. And I had to let go of the boxes and just trust that consistency and the law of momentum would eventually guide the way and carry some of the heavy lifting for me. And so a lot of the practices in the 13 moons and what Guru Singh has taught me all help do exactly what Joe Dispenza's work, which he explains it in a very practical science way, into rewiring your brain and rewiring really all of your emotional body, your mental body. I would just want to voice to anybody is that your body can do a lot of the work for you and your energy can do a lot of the work for you. And that's what becomes possible once you actually try on things like breath work and body movements. And Mike is brilliant at Simple is always available and simple is powerful. And so you don't need 72 minute practice every day. Three minutes of consistent breathing can change your life and change what you can welcome into your field. Mm. From my personal experience. I think breaking down, even like starting with three minutes finding the joy in three minutes and then you just start layering it on. <laughs> like you think yeah. sooner or later you'll build a lifestyle of just doing it, which is like, I mean, I spend hours now of my week, like doing all sorts of different shit, but it started with like the gateway, the gateway of like experiencing the benefit of just a simple practice. Yeah. And I still don't have, I mean, I have three kids and so my practice is very, very short. And sometimes I saw Tanama out the door and I'm like, that's good. <laughs> but I like really believe like, that's okay. I did it. Like, and I've just released whatever expectation of, I'm, I don't know. And that's, I think that's actually like, what's, what's really powerful about that is I think most people consider healing or like this level of integration or getting to know yourself to be like a doing task, but it's actually more softer than that it's not like a oh, this is the thing it's not like a like i think five years ago i had a very strict morning routine and it was like this is what i had to do to be successful and the thing and i would wake up at this time and i would do the thing and i had a checklist of all the stuff i was supposed to do and i did it and i'm starting to realize now like my morning practice it's not even really even a routine it's a practice and the practice is of allowing what's true and present to be here 
And so if it's like, I feel like going to the gym, great. If I feel like sitting there and just bawling my ass up, awesome. If I feel like doing none of it and just walking out the door, but being mindful of the choice I'm making, I think that's ultimately what you're even saying. It's like the mindfulness is actually the practice. Like, can you be mindful and attuned to whatever choice you're making, whether it's doing your practice on the way out the door or if it's sitting down for a while, but like that, the conscious awareness is actually where all the magic is. Yeah. Something you just said right there, it's, Guru Singh is brilliant at this and it's have the authority to be you. And I think that there's a, a fear of holding the responsibility of making the decisions that are shaping your future, that we want somebody else to tell us what to do. And so when we're in like yoga, I notice it a lot in beginning yoga teacher training. And I did it myself. I'm like, should I do it this way? How long do I hold it here? What will happen? Will something detrimental happen if I do it this way? And going through it enough to where you're like, you know what? Like, I'm just going to make up the rules for how this is going to land in my body. And having the authority to be a rebel, but within your own integrity, you don't have to follow it precisely the way that that said it. We That person or that book taught it. You can take everything within how it you want it to land within you and sort of make up your own integration. Can you say that phrase again by Guru Singh? Be your own authority. Like you have the authority to make your own decisions. You're the authority. You're the Why? teacher. What about, I'm curious, like, cause you've clearly dedicated a good chunk of your time and energy to bringing this man's work into the world. Like what, what, what is, why? What are the principles that continue getting refined or shared over the years as you've kind of been in, in practice with him? Yeah. What I have loved in experiencing and working with Guru Singh and his teachings, it's always given space for us not, he's not the teacher of us. He's just activating the teacher within. It's, I get a very adverse reaction if anybody anywhere tells me I have to do it that way. And I've never experienced that with Guru Singh. He's given space for all walks of life, all situations and believing in that person's gifts genuinely and smiling while they remember them themselves. Um, it's never, it's just never had a, a vibe to where it was taking away my own belief system. It was actually more allowing me to stand in my own belief system while the person next to me didn't believe the same thing as me. And we were both like, high five. Awesome. That had a very yeah. Cool. yeah, it allowed you to discover your own truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And be messy. Like I was I was messy and angry and he never once fed into that nor made me feel bad about being so angry when my husband, I mean, that's a lot. Like he could have shamed me and could have been like, you need to get over it. It's been five months. Like it's time to be done grieving. I never got a timeline ever. Mm. To unconditional acceptance of where you're at on your journey. 
allowing you to discover your own truth and holding the space for all of that. Is there anything else about him that's, and I'm asking this because I think there's a world of like armchair shamans and life coaches and all the people coming in and teaching consciousness and teaching growth and teaching everything. And like, I'm, I'm really like what I find to be true, at least from the masters I've had a opportunity to be around is like these qualities are actually like, like there, like there's, there's a frequency and a quality to a true elder and a master. And it's not one that's like, let me tell you how to do this. It's like, there's a lot of the things you're actually mentioning. There's the spaciousness. And so I don't know if there's anything else that's present about Guru Singh that I think would fit into what makes him a person that you like want to devote yourself to or to learn from or find your path alongside. Um, I think I try to look at it from the perspective of somebody that might not have any knowing of who he is or like, who's this guy that wears a turban and who's this, like I look at our dynamic, the super young girl that's helping grow his company. And I think that initial reaction would be you hear the word guru sing and you think he's a guru. And I would say that goes against every teaching that we are as a collective of the 13 moons. And it's that that's his name, Guru Singh. It just is like, your name is Raj and my name is Bailey. And so I think that if you were to get through and then come into this world of, of the 13 moons, it's, we can do so much more of what you spoke to with the frequency and Guru Singh practices what he teaches every single day. What I've already learned about Guru Singh and learned about like the way he is as a, as a teacher says a lot about the way he embodies the work. I think that's the piece I come back to is like, there's a lot of people that teach these types of tools, but don't embody it and they're not integrated in their own work. And so there's a lot of projection and a lot of shadow and a lot of like, there's just a lot of that. And I'm not sensing that in this conversation at all. So. Yeah. No. Yeah. And I would just say like, he's a human too, which is so cool. Like when you get, cause I've gotten to work with him and he's so human and it's like, Oh yeah, this is available to all of us. And we all have all the things that happen in a regular life that we have to deal with. And there's no perfection in that, which makes it incredible. Mm. Bailey, I, I'm extremely grateful. We're getting close to our time now. And I'm just like, I told you before we hit the record, but I had no idea where the fuck we were going to take this conversation. And it went in some really beautiful directions. I, I totally see you. What I'm appreciating most about you is like, just the depth that you carry throughout this entire, like the fact you said it beautifully, like it's taken a lot to keep your heart open. And I think that doesn't get celebrated enough in society because it's, there's so much noise and distraction and reasons to close your heart and to have the courage and the willingness to keep your heart open throughout the building of something throughout like the creation of something throughout the grieving process, like, I think it's super inspiring and I am just really grateful that I had a chance to learn that about you and to know that there are other people in the world that 
live this way because it's, I think we need more examples like that. So thank you for opening up and sharing your heart and being so authentic and badass and just like just being you. I really appreciate it. Thank you. That was really sweet. And thank you. And this is a celebration because it's the first time I've ever really shared my story at all in public. So good. (laughs) So good. So tell me a little bit about 13 Moons and then I have one last question for you. Yes. So if 13 Moons is an online community that is a master library of all of Guru Singh's teachings. And we have live classes and master classes and we are just a big, large global community that you can come join by going to the 13moons.studio. Cool. And it's an app as well. Amazing. Did I say that? <laughs> you did say that. So we will add all those links in the show notes, guys. All right, Bailey, I got one last question for you. In the midst of everything you're doing, everywhere you've been and everywhere you're going, how do you stay grounded? Hmm. How do I stay grounded? I stay grounded by committing to my spiritual practice all throughout the day in little tiny, tiny pockets. And so if I'm having a hard moment, it's I can make it through hard things and remembering that neutrality is really peaceful. Mm. So trying to stay neutral, even when I want to go excited, which I am by nature, I'm like, I try to go back so that my crashes aren't as intense. Mm. I love that you have a principle. That's like a thing that brings you back to yourself. Like a lot of people answer with like, oh, I use meditation and breath work and this thing. And that's beautiful too. But I actually love the macro concept because I think that's how I now stay grounded too. It's like, I have these kind of guardrails. So anytime I'm like spinning out, I literally like go back and read a, like an iPhone note with all of my reminders. And then I'm like, oh yeah, that one that I remembered that I learned like two years ago, like that, remember that and you'll be fine. And it kind of brings me back. So I love that. So way to go. All right, Bailey, thank you again for being here. So grateful. Everybody, that is a wrap for this week's episode of Stay Grounded. I'm your host, Raj. This is your new friend, Bailey. And from us, stay grounded. We'll chat soon. Thanks for joining us today on this episode of Stay Grounded. I hope you found this interview helpful as you create your own ways to live an extraordinary life. For more resources and support, please visit www.rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded to join the official Stay Grounded Facebook group, a place where aspiring life enthusiasts can connect and ignite passion for life together. My hope is that the positivity, content, resources, and support in this group will resonate with you on a deeper level. That what you hear in our podcast, read in our thoughtful posts, or learn in our courses will empower you to live with intention, uncover true purpose, and challenge the internal dialogues that stop you from being who you really want to be in your life. Again, thanks so much for joining us. Stay grounded.